Welcome back to The Table Women, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. I'm Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. It's season three, and we've got so many wonderful conversations and creators of all kinds to share with you. You know the drill. Pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone is welcome and everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you. Don't, don't let them stop Stop you. Don't, don't let them stop you. Tracy Gershon is co-owner and president of Northern Lights Music Publishing, a joint venture with Brandy Carlisle and Universal Music Group. She's also co-founder of Change the Conversation and Nashville Music Equality, which promote gender and racial equality in the music industry. Throughout her multifaceted career in LA and Nashville, Tracy Gershon has developed a proven track record for discovering and developing fresh new talent, such as Casey Musgraves and Miranda Lambert. She's held executive A&R positions at record labels, including Sony, Warner Brothers, and Rounder Records, as well as at music publishers EMI, Sony Music, and Warner Chapel. She's the host of Y'all Together Now, a featured music program on the Beatles channel for Sirius XM Radio. She's also been the recipient of numerous awards, including the Nashville Business Journal's Women in Music City Awards in 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018, as well as Nashville Lifestyle Magazine's Top 10 Women in Business Award in 2016. The Table is very proud to present Tracy Gershon. All right, so we have Tracy Gershon here, which is such a big moment for us we have really been excited to talk to her for a little bit and seeing her journey you guys got to hear a tiny little fraction of her amazing career but tracy welcome thank you so much for joining us thank you okay this is really exciting for you i think you need to get a different life (laughs) very excited yes we are we little musicians nerd about best things (laughs) i'm just sorry to tell you this that's great thanks i'm excited to talk to you guys tracy you're you're an icon in this in this field that we're exploring so i hope you know how important your work is that that you you've been doing. Can, can you tell us a little bit of um, your background, how you got into, first of all, into the entertainment business in the first place? Oh, that's a crazy story. Actually, I started, um, I have a really funny story. So I was, I went to college at UC Santa Barbara um, in California, and I was really a film and TV major. I loved music. I just didn't know that there was a job in music. And I, this, this is the story, how I started my career and I'll make it short. I wanted to go see, I can't remember a concert at this great venue called the Santa Barbara County bowl. And I went, my boyfriend and I went to buy tickets and they told us they was sold out. And I don't like those. I said, sold out. Darn it. And then I looked to the side and there was all these people in red shirts gathered. And I said, what's going on over there? The, the, the woman behind the counter said, Oh, those are our ushers. And I said, well, how do you get to be an usher? They go, you volunteer. I go, Oh, Okay, I volunteer and so does my boyfriend. They go, great. So the concert we wanted to see, they put my boyfriend in the parking lot. He was pissed. They put me like front stage as an usher and I was just dance. I thought, this is awesome. So that's, I, I started ushering um, the entire uh, concert. And then I uh, thought, well, I'm doing this for free. How do I get paid? And the all, there was an all-male security staff and I you know, would hang with them as an usher. And finally I said one day, you need a, you don't have any women. They're like, well, we don't have women. I said, what happens if somebody ODs in the bathroom and you have to go in the bathroom? Like somebody has to go in as a, and they, all right. So then I became one of the security guards. And then the last part of the story is I just loved it there. And I went in and said, do you have any, you know, job openings? And I uh, got a job in the box office and kind of the rest is history. So I actually started off my career in the music business as, um, as you know, running, you know, not running, but I was an assistant, got to be an assistant manager of a venue and then started booking concerts in college at the same time. So I started out really as a concert promoter. Holy all cow. Because awesome. I wanted to see a show and I would not take no for an answer. <laughs> That's amazing. That makes me think of when you go to Regal Cinemas and they have that ad that mm-hmm. says you want a career in the movie business and they're yeah. trying to hire people to work in the theater. It's like that actually sort of that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that worked Ex- for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and it's like I tell people, you just 
sometimes you have plans, you know, especially in college, you know, most people don't know what they want to do. I didn't, I changed major six times. And then the music, it just, I had an opportunity and I followed it. And I kept luckily through my career, kept getting all these great opportunities you know, ran the, the concert division at UCSB. And then I went to work for one of the biggest concert promoters in Southern California. And then from there, I just, people I met, I went to work for uh, managers. I went to work for Gary Borman, who, you know, manages Keith Urban now. And I, I mean, we just met because I think I promoted an act of his. And so I, a lot of different things and uh, record, you know, just, just different jobs. I was kind of trying out different jobs in the music industry, you know, whether it be for management and for labels and um, public, you know, publishing, just all different things. And then I moved, I, I worked for EMI uh, Publishing I was managing a couple, I, I managed some acts. I didn't know what I was doing, but I liked, I started getting my, I, I started in rock and then uh, I met my husband, who's a steel guitar player. He was a steel guitar player for Emmy Lou Harris. And I quickly learned to love country music. They were my big educators, started managing some country acts. And then I went to work at EMI in Los Angeles. And then we decided, it was my idea to move to Nashville in 1988. Cause I really felt like something was happening. I didn't know what, but I thought something was happening. And I just wanted to move there. I loved everybody I'd met from there. So we moved and that was kind of my start in the country music career with EMI Music. That's amazing. And I yeah. think you you touched on something so incredible that I don't think we talk about enough. And I want to hear a little bit more about this. Um, you going to college and studying film and TV and changing your major a bunch because I feel like I encounter a lot of young creatives. I, I just had a little like coffee mentor session with one that is 16 and she's planning on coming to Belmont. Um, and we ran into each other walking on Music Row. I was coming back from a writing house and she was with her parents with their guitar trying to find their way around somewhere. And I gave them directions and we ended up like grabbing a Zoom coffee. And she was asking me all about um, if I think majoring in music and music business is worth it and whatever. And I think there's no right answer. It's amazing for some people. It's a not great avenue for others. I started in music at 14 in LA. Mm -hmm. I did not study anything musical. I studied film and TV and social justice communication, but I use that every single day now working in music yeah. full time. And I want to hear about your experience, not studying music, even though you had a passion and all the different kinds of things that you tried out. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because there were no music pro. I mean, there was not a music program in so many of these colleges. You can go and study publishing and music. Well, I didn't have any of that. That wasn't there. And I do say that, you know, look, I, I was a let's see, drama major, anthropology major, film and tea. I mean, I think I had about five majors. Mm -hmm. I'm actually a communications major. I ended up with that. And, you know, truthfully, I tell people, I, I talk to college kids all the time. And I said, you may think you know what you're doing but it's going to change. And sometimes if you get into a job that you just take a job, you end up loving it, or you end up realizing I don't want this job. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much pressure on kids to figure out what, you know, that question. So what are you going to do when you get out of college? And there's so mm -hmm. much pressure put on them when the really answer is, I don't know. I'll know it when I find it. And I really tell people every opportunity, every, every job is an opportunity an opportunity to, to decide what you want to do or that you may not want to do that. And you never know who you're going to meet. And so it's always like, you have to be nice and kind to everybody because you could be meeting your next boss, whether it's a phone call as a receptionist someplace. So I just say open. I, I, I had such a crazy, you know, I've done a lot of things. I've been a manager. I've been a publisher. I've been a, you know, I've, um, you know, uh, a and R person, you know, all these things. And they all, I, I'm a curious person. I, you know, I was on one track as a publisher and decided I wanted to, try a and r and you know i i was able to just pivot and do good work in anything i did and just go to the next thing so i'm still trying to figure out what i want to do <laughs> you can tell by my bio i'm still i'm all over the place but in it on purpose because i like to do a lot of things you've, you've held some pretty key power positions in mm -hmm. in the industry too and and so what is the best and worst part of being in those powerful positions? Oh gosh. Experience? Well, I think as it, when you're a head creative person, an A&R person or a publisher, the, the greatest thing is signing something and see it, you know, evolve and come, you know, to sign a Miranda Lambert. And, you know, I was telling some of this the other day, going to see her at SeaWorld with 40 people. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward, she's, you know, selling out Bridgestone Arena. That's amazing wow. to watch that. It's amazing. 
The worst part is you sign somebody you believe in and you have to drop them because it just didn't work. That is devastating, devastating. Or if, even if you don't have to drop them, if it's not working and sometimes things just don't work and you don't have a reason why and you still believe in the person, that to me is the worst. It's still, you know, I hate that. Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting answer because that speaks to how you, how you are in this with your heart for yeah. connection and helping other people. Um, yeah, that it it makes me wonder. Did you have somebody along the way that championed you in bringing you through the business? Did you, or do you wish you did? I wish. Well, early on, no, I really didn't. I was really, I never had that mentor. Um, had a lot of different jobs and there was thing I, a couple people along the way I felt helped me. A lot of people I think stood in my way. Um, and, uh, but later on when I, I'll tell you, there's a couple people that I, I feel were really helpful. Donna Hilly, who was, you know, the publishing maven, she's no longer with us, but she ran Sony tree and she just, she was just always, um, she just taught me how to, um, be a leader, I think, and to be a boss because she taught she, she taught, um, everybody was met with respect, whether it was the receptionist or highest, you know, executive, Mm -hmm. she met them with the same respect, um, and treated them with the same respect is really the word. And, and, and was, so you wanted to work for her. She gave you credit when credit was due. She gave you enough rope to hang yourself. She trusted you. And it was really great. Um, the other person is Paul Worley. I'd say Paul Worley was a good mentor for me. Great producer. And, um, he hired me, uh, at, he, I worked with him at Sony publishing, and then he hired me to run the NR department at Warner's and he used to call me his boss. Mm-hmm. And we just had a great, I learned so much from him from, you know, um, as, as a producer and, um, he's the same guy. He's one of these guys that always had integrity, mm-hmm. just integrity and in everything he did and did what was right for the artist. And I really had people around me. And of course I will say, um, one of my, and I wasn't a mentor, but somebody who inspired me to always have integrity and do the right thing was Emmylou Harris, who is the godmother to my children. Also my husband, that's how I got into country music because my husband played with her, but she was a great teacher. And just, I watched her do everything she did with integrity. That was, it It was always about the music and about the art period. You know, the paycheck came down the line, even though she got it, but it was, everything was with musical integrity. Yeah. And I, I, it makes me so curious hearing you describe, especially I think it's so beautiful to have someone who's been so successful talk about, for the most part, you had a lot of people stand in your way because mm-hmm. that's definitely changed, but it's still a reality that people face, especially women and especially minorities. Um, and then hearing you speak so eloquently about the people and the ways that that they helped you, mm-hmm. um, it makes me curious if you have any specifics that you look for, whether it's a creative that you want to sign or work with, or on the business side, someone that you're deciding to or not to work with. If you have certain things that you can pick out, whether it's an energy, the way that they talk to people, treat people, um, if there are certain things where you're like immediately yes or immediately no. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's funny. I think there's an instinct that just like when you meet anybody, you go, I want that person to be my friend, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, there's, I think for working, you know, it's funny. I, I say sometimes, um, work, you know, some of these jobs to me are all the same. It's the people that make the job and I've had great people and I've had not great people. And it's been, you know, that's really made the difference. Sometimes you don't know until you get in, you know, everything, the honeymoon period's great. You know, everyone wants you to work for them and it's wonderful. And then you get in, you go, Oh my gosh, this person's, you know, a psychopath. <laughs> and I've worked <laughs> And by the way, I've worked with some psychopaths Just in, in terms of, I don't, you know, my thing is I don't look, there's, I don't really like office politics. I don't like, I just like, let's all work together. I'm a middle child. I love Kumbaya. I want people to work together. I want people working on the same team, in the same direction. You know, I think that me growing up, there was so much about, you know, people were not willing to give credit or wanting the credit or coming from a place of paranoia, 
if you were doing a great job, they were like, is that person going to take my job? I dealt with a lot of that without even knowing it. You know, I'm just going to work as hard as I can and do as much as I can. And sometimes I'd get accused of stepping on toes. And it wasn't that I was stepping on toes. They just, you know, or stay in your lane. It's just like, hey, I'm trying to help. You know, aren't we all on one team here? So I really look for people who are te- who 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 are confident. I think that's the thing is I think it's when you're confident, you've done your thing, you, you, you're a much better team player. And, um, um, and, you know, and as far as artists go, when you say, what do I look for an artist? I mean, look at, I, I end up getting close to most of the people I work with. I like, I have to like them, but I have to like, you know, obviously the music speaks first, but I also have to like them. I have to like their work ethic. And I think they, they can't, I can't work harder than them. That's my big thing. If I'm working harder than you, then maybe it's not the right fit because I'm going to work as hard as you do, but I shouldn't be, you know, being the one, Hey, let's go do this. No, I don't feel like it. You know? Yeah. You know? So do you think that, um, this is something I've been thinking about for the past 24 hours. I saw, um, a woman on TikTok as a Gen Z, I can't help myself, um, TikTok all the time. And it is so beautiful. Um, also a black hole, but I found this really interesting woman and she's a talent scout out in LA specifically with Gen Z. And she, um, is also, um, a spiritual person and she's Mm -hmm. someone who, um, as she claims can see auras. And she did a whole series on how she has been so successful in her, um, in her job because there are two kinds of auras that she can tell every famous person has. And she did a video on what they are. And it got me thinking on whether this whole debate, especially in the entertainment industry about whether or not you can spot talent, whether or not some people just have that thing, or if it's more of a, you cannot have it and work your way up to it. And I know some people have really strong feelings and some people don't really care, but this woman did a whole, uh, series from the perspective of seeing people's auras and having that be true. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Well, what happened, you're gonna have to afterwards, I want to, I want to watch that TikTok. You know, I, yeah. I think here's a different world. I think at one time it was definitely, I do think that there, you know, you can see as a talent scout and, and I've been successful as an AR person. Sometimes people just have it. I don't know how to explain it. It's just fairy dust or mad. You see them, they have charisma. You can feel it. You can see it. Right. Um, and then spot with, with the regular talent. Now, I think it's an, a little different in the world of social media because now the talent, I don't know, the ta- there's talent there, but there has to be a more, these people are marketing people. Is that the magic and the fairy dust? If you're so good on TikTok, if you can make these crazy videos, if you're, if you're witty on your social media, that's getting you more attention than your actual talent. So I think that's a different, it's a question that is, that could that has changed with with the advent of social media to be honest with you i I still think at the end of the day talent is talent and there's some people who are just you know look there's those people who are so talented and crazy talented it's undeniable but there's a lot of really talented people who we don't hear about it because they may not be as good at marketing themselves you know absolutely your um, work with Change the Conversation and your work just in general across the board is really focused on pushing forward change in the industry and mm-hmm. especially for women and minorities. So I'm curious of how that became a priority for you and and why you chose to step into that um, focus. Well, it's funny. My mother will say, you were always an activist when you were little. I was always like, you know, doing sit-ins and I don't know. I, really? I don't remember. No, she told me that I was just always the, yeah, she thought I was going to go into politics, but really what, a, what the awakening, you know, I always had a bit of social justice. I don't, you know, I always fight for an underdog and, and the, the underrepresented, but change the conversation started in, I think it was 2014. I will say it was before Time's Up and it was before Me Too. But what had happened is um, I was managing a a great artist named Natalie Stovall, who's now with Runaway June. And Natalie was just, she's an amazing performer. She's just great. And she had just left it. She was on an independent label that went under. And I was talking to a, um, a, major label, the, the, the head is no longer there, who was telling me what a buzz she, you know, she, your artist has such a buzz and she's great. And I said, yeah, you know, why don't you sign her? And yeah, he said, about I'm a not, star too. and a star. And he yeah. said, I'm not signing any women. <laughs> women don't sell <laughs> records. And I, I'd say this, 
I almost I had like a hairball almost come out. I was I was so stuck for words. I was so amazed that A, he would say that. And at the same time, one of my best friends is Leslie Fram, who obviously is, you know, head of CMT. And her and I had been talking about where are the women like there at that point, like there were no women at at labels. And I've always had great luck working with women. And then at the same time, Beverly Keel, who's now the dean of the recording arts at MTSU and a journalist, had written an article, Where are the women at country radio? And we all kind of got together and started talking and said, All right, we have to do something. This is bad. What this is this is not good. Like, and um, and people aren't trying to hide this either. You know, everyone's just, oh, we're not signing women. And so we got together, we got together and had a little, what we said, salon. We had like 30 people. It was managers. It was um, a couple, it was actually one guy, Todd Cassidy, who runs Song Suffragettes. Oh, is our honor. Actually. Yeah. I know. Well, he's yeah. the best. He's been, he's you know, we, we um, support each other, but the fact that he was always the, the only man in the room, we always and a give total him advocate. a shout out and a total <laughs> advocate, you know? Yeah. Um, he's got daughters, he knows, and he's just great. So we just said, what, we don't want this just to be a wine and cheese party and we bitch about it. We want to do something. And what we realized then it was this, this kind of a myth that somehow women didn't want, didn't, women don't want to hear other women. That was the myth. And then what happened that translated. So radio wasn't wanting to play women. So that, then that, that affected record companies, not wanting to sign women and that affected publishing companies. And it was just a myth. And even to the point where we had a booking agent, one of our, the people that attended this um, like salon. And she said, yeah, I, some of the young females that I book, I can't get them booked at clubs because they're saying they don't sell alcohol. And my response was, well, they're not hanging out with my friends because <laughs> drink my share of alcohol but she went back I said do me a favor go back to the club owner and just get the receipts you know from the the bars for two different artists a male and female that are about at the same level and when they did they, the bar owner said oh wow they're the same so they're uh-huh. selling you know it's just a myth this was a self-fulfilling Data. prophecy was happening so we said we have to break this this myth here yes. and one of the other things we realized too was that women and this is, goes back to even executives you know, when you're told there's one slot, all these artists were told, oh, there's only one slot. They're told in publishing, they're told, you know, we just signed a woman. What happens? They become instinctively competitive, mm-hmm. you know, because they're they're trying to vie for the one slot. So we had a our, one of our meetings we had like was when Kelsey Ballerini's first record was coming out. We had Mickey Guyton. We had a bunch of great females, Laura Lena. They were all just starting out. Mm-hmm. And we said, guys, you know, or girls. A win for one is a win for all. If you all get out there and support each other, once one breaks through, then there'll be room for you. And I think of anything that Change the Conversation did is we built, helped build a community because we start, started seeing all these uh, women support other women at showcases. They showed up, they were on social media. And I mean, like the proud parents, Beverly and Leslie and I kind of all looked at each other and go, okay, if we did one thing, this is what we did. And, you know, we're still working and still going. We still have, you know, issues at radio with, with, I think, playing more women and we have a lot of work to do, but, um, and, you know, and, and besides the, uh, a lot of people think, um, that we came in after the tomato gate, you know, what tomato gate was, but actually we started before that. We just stole the tomato as our logo because Mm -hmm. that came out three months after we started and I just added fuel to the fire and everybody was in an uproar. I said, this was the best thing for us because this yeah. guy who said, you know, for those who don't know out there, there was a radio programmer who basically went on record in writing and said, if you want to increase your ratings at um, radio, then get rid of women. Men are like, I look at it like a salad, The the lettuce is the men and the substance and the decor and, you know, is the tomatoes. That's the women. So that's why our logo is a tomato. Talk about yeah. perfect timing though. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so what do you, what do you think some of the biggest hurdles are besides what you were talking about, the myth, all of it being based on a myth, what other hurdles are you seeing in creating that change that you're trying to push forward? It's kind of like, you know, you know, at one point it's funny because radio, when I would talk to radio and they'd say, you know, we can't play women back to back, you know, they said, by the way, we're not getting, you know, it's true. They said, we don't have enough women 
to play back to back because the record company stopped stopped signing a lot of women. So there was not as many women superstars. So it's kind of supply and demand. The self-fulfilling so prophecy. The self-fulfilling prophecy. And so you have to get more, you know, look at, you have much, many more male superstars at one time than you do women, just because you were signing, you know, that just the mm-hmm. odds are, if you sign more men, probably the odds are more men will become superstars as opposed to signing fewer women. If you play more men on radio, more women, more men will get notice. I mean, it's just, you know, you got to start somewhere. So, and you know, the truth is women, if you look at it, women in terms of when a woman breaks, there's so many better, you know, you have more magazines for women or, you know, women generally have more uh, TVQ, you know, women are 80 women make up, I think is last I heard 85% of consumers. So, and there's a reason why Alexa and Siri are women's voices, by the way, we like to listen to women. So, so it, I think it, it, yeah. it, it feels like the, the Titanic feels like it's moving in some ways, like it's turning, it but it still feels like specifically with country radio, yeah. it's so minute, the, the movement in that. And why do you think that is so resistant to changing? I wish I had the answer because we've had these, I mean, because now that I have to say the labels, if you look from when we started and started banging the drum there's a lot more women signed to labels i'm really proud of that you know Mm -hmm. and but and they'll still say sometimes the challenge is 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 radio and i think that i think it's like you listen listen i think it's anything else you listen you know what you hear if you're not hearing women on country radio you don't know that you like women Mm -hmm. and even you know even some of the dsps you know sometimes we'd go through and and look at a a playlist and be you know 30 men before you Mm -hmm. you hit a woman and my thing is i think sometimes people listen in almost background noise and so all of a sudden a woman's voice will come on and it sounds weird Mm -hmm. you know if you've eaten chocolate cake your whole life and that's all you know and then all of a sudden you taste vanilla it's going to taste a little weird until you get used to it uh, that's the only thing I can think of. I, I just don't, you know. Maybe there's also a little bit more fear in radio of being a tastemaker and mm-hmm. of giving the audiences something they're not used to, as opposed to, I mean, I'm thinking of, of you know, Leslie's uh, over at CMT doing the equal play right. opportunities there. And and that was a ballsy move to do well, that. And that yeah, was you like- have to- yeah, trusting that the audience is going to go with you when you do that. and um, But you know, I'm not ra- seeing radio doing that, so well, I'm curious. Ra- radio is a business, and if they're rating, all they go is that they know really what they care about is ratings because that's what they're advertising. If their ratings are good, they're like, why change it? And that's the thing is you need some guys to say, you know what, maybe the ratings might alter for a little bit, then they'll go up, and that's what we need. We need some real change makers to go. We're going to go on board here. You know, some of them will say, well, the women are not, you know, we've had conversations, are not um, – are not recording as good songs. And I, I'll argue that all day long. I know it's very subjective, but I'm a song person and I could sit there and I think at one point the women were just putting out more quality songs. I think we were also suffering from the bro country world because that's what you remember. Everything was sounding the same bro country, bro. Mm -hmm. Women aren't doing bro country and that's what was selling that was doing. So they were just playing more and more of that. So it's hard because it's, you know, it's commerce and art. And sometimes those things don't work together. I'd like you know? to hear, yeah. And I think that before we get off this topic, because I think this is one of the big cruxes of, of this entire podcast and everything that we speak about when we, we speak about creating actual change, um, I'd like to hear both of your guys' thoughts on um, the trickle-down effect of how that has um, those mentalities about women and about minorities um, has seeped down into the the up and coming generations of creators because i know for me i haven't had some of the roadblocks that both of you have had but i still see a lot of remnants of them or ones that have really persisted even when i started coming to town i would get a lot oh we really like your work but our a lot of our writers are men and they won't write with women unless they're guaranteed a cut and they're a big person Mm -hmm. and i would write in uh, i would find i wouldn't find as much um women who were unwilling to support me or give opportunities, but I did find a lot of men and even a lot of women that were like, it's unfair, but we just have to play the game. And the trickle down of, of all of that stuff from radio and labels and pub telling people when they give them advice or showing by example that women don't sell, the trickle down of that is creating mentality 
in the next generations of creators that that is what doesn't sell and they're so desperate to get success that they then perpetuate that idea and I found that a great roadblock coming from starting out in LA but not really having a genre and now I work mostly in pop hip-hop and k-pop and and worlds that are very heavily um, mm -hmm. female oriented um, so I'd like to hear both of your guys's thoughts about what what that trickle down has created if you find that true and ways that we might be able to kind of unpack that and set that in a different direction well i think you kind of explained it already that there was there's a trickle down of that it's just like what i said before it's just one you know uh you know if if women weren't being signed and you know and i'm just talking mostly in country if women be, aren't being signed and then publishers are telling women writer well you know there's not many women to write for i mean there is a trickle down effect i think i think because of Look, we've had a reckoning in terms of gender and race in the last few years. I hope it's not a, a box checking moment. I hope this is for real. And we really, as a, as an, as a society change. Um, and I hope that there's, you know, there's a lot of awareness to it. So I think people are being a little bit more thoughtful. What Sometimes it's genuine. Sometimes it's not. This is the work I do, with, whether it's changed the conversation or whether it's the work I do with Nashville Music Equality, which is about, you know, racism in our community. And I do see a lot of people wanting to help, but I don't know if it's authentic, but because it's just checking a box, mm -hmm. sometimes you have to take that and go, mm -hmm. okay, keep going and keep going. You know, all we can do is, is help each other, support each other, keep doing, I can keep doing my work and pushing and pushing and getting more opportunities for women, more opportunities for, you know, uh, you know, people of color in our industry. And just keep knocking, you know, and it takes, you know, here's the thing is I, I don't even have a big platform. You know, I don't have, I'm not with a big company. I'm a small company and stuff, but I, I just tell people when they go, what can I do? I go, everybody can do something, anything you do. We just, you know, I put together, um, Victoria was part of this, you know, just under the radar, I put together a, um, a songwriter camp. Um, I have a partner. We haven't even announced it, but I have a, a wonderful partner in a publishing company through Universal, and her name's Brandy Carlisle, mm -hmm. who is probably, you know, she is the, an artist that walks the walk and talks the talk and really is just an, an activist and an advocate. And we put together a writer's camp that to, to really, we went with some of these up and coming um, women of color who were getting some buzz, but they didn't they didn't have a songwriting community. And I went to some of the top writers, Victoria included, and said, if you guys really want to help, I know that these guys don't have record deals. And you generally you're writing with people, same thing. It's, it's commerce. It's a, you know, everyone you're writing with artists that, you know, have record deals that, you know, you'll get that on, but could you just give me some time and help these people out? And I'm, I'm telling you, it was amazing. I got some of the top writers and said, yes, this is what we can do you know, those little things like that. And it was great. And so, and it really helped propel some of these writers because as they were, you know, shopping for deals, it's always hopefully going to be about the song first and foremost. And the mm -hmm. fact that they had been writing with writers at this other level, you know, opened the eyes of some of these A&R people. So it really helped them. And so this was just a little thing. It was just a little thing, but you know, it's moving the dial and this, we're trying to figure out, you know, you can post and say everything you want, but what is action? What can we do? Mm -hmm you know, yes. and I think and go out and support and buy the records and go out. Well, now after COVID, but you know, go to shows, yeah. there's all those little things you can do to support. Cause that helps move the dial. Yeah. And it's not so tiny at all. I'm sure that for all of these women and the songwriters, I think Victoria, you mentioned, you might've mentioned to me, or maybe it was something else, but hearing you talk, whenever we catch up, hearing you talk about how excited you are to help the next mm -hmm. generation of writers, this is a really big deal for them as someone who, Vic was one of my very first pro writers that I got to write with and it was monumental in my career and in shaping that. And I also love that you brought up something that we don't talk about um, as much, especially in the last couple years of this reckoning with gender and race of people who do it to check a box or to mm -hmm. seem like they're on it. I, in the past mm -hmm. couple months, have, have just had coffee with, with friends and um, on multiple occasions when it's been with a, a, a friend who's in music as either an artist or writer, both who is a person of color, every time we've had the conversation of this person didn't look at me twice. And then all of a sudden when 
um, this initiative happened or all of this talk was happening and people are jumping on board and making Instagram posts, they all of a sudden reached out to me, hey, can I connect you with this person? It's like, no, because you're just trying to show people that you know people of color. And that's yeah. that's not, and it's, it's really frustrating. And I know, um, I think it's really important to call that out and, and to also be really aware of yeah, meeting out the people who do that. It's a fine line, though, because some people are just now like if, if they're having an awakening and a reckoning now, let's let them have it, though. Yeah. You know, what I mean, if all of a sudden they're like, God, I didn't even think about it. Look, uh, personally, as much of an activist and I feel like I'm so self-evolved, I didn't even really know what white privilege meant. I thought that was somebody else. It was I, I didn't even know what the meaning was. And, and I like learned like, oh, I am white privilege. You know, everything yeah. I do is white privilege. I didn't know. And I think that we have to have a little bit of grace for people who are just maybe just now going, oh, man, I'm these are teaching moments. So we yes. also have to have grace and let them do it. You know what I mean? And like I said, sometimes I say, you know, I had some people even with change of conversation calling me and go, we want to do this all women thing. And, you know, sometimes I'd go, do you want to do it for the right reasons? Cause you really believe, or do you want to do it? Cause you look good to your bosses now. <laughs> yeah. I would take both because I said, even if they, I'll take what I can get because It'll then I know that it's going to still happen <laughs> and I'm going to have these women who are going to prove that they can, you know, whatever, sell a ticket or do whatever they were asking, you know, be on a festival and it's, I'll, I'll make it work. So, you know, again, it's that fine line, you know, I don't want to shame people for doing it. Cause I just want everyone to just, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. And, you know, if they're on to the next thing next year, th that's what will show if they keep doing the work, that's, that's mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and leading by example and creating those networks and opportunities that you're creating, Tracy, are super important. Like for me to have you reach out and invite me to be a part of that, mm -hmm. um, that camp, the writing camp. Uh, was great because that that gave me a chance to do something and to sort of put my money where my mouth, where my mouth is, spend my energy where I feel like it's important to spend it. And that's one of the things I think we talked about this in our last conversation, Sarah, but that's something that I've become very aware of in the past couple of years is that you can be very purposeful about how you spend your energy and where you put your your time and you can make choices based on trying to create change in in the industry and um, that doesn't have to be something that you accidentally fall into that can be mm -hmm. a, a purposeful thing and you can do that on so many levels in your choices um in, in who and, you work with so and you know i think one thing that i i'm really proud of because and when you asked me about mentors earlier i think yeah. i really wished i had a mentor so i i tried to become a mentor um and i and i I look at some of the women I think I've, I've helped and I, they're doing so great. I mean, one is Chris Lacey. I hired Chris Lacey at Warner yes. Brothers. She's killing it. She's she such was my a, first meeting in Nashville. There oh, I mean, you know, she's just a beautiful <laughs> like a, human being and a, one of the best A&R people. And same thing, um, Missy, Missy Roberts over at um, Universal. Yeah. She was, I gave her her first job and watched her just grow and grow. And there's some other, and to me, there's nothing better. And I hope I always say to them, I hope, you know, I always felt like I gave them room or taught and they taught me that to me is so, I don't know, for me, it's so, like I say, you know, oh, you can say, oh, that's so great. It's selfish. It gives me so much pleasure. I have to say, it just makes me, it's like having, you know, I do have my own kids, but then they become like your kids, like you're watching your kids graduate and do great things in the world. And you feel like, oh, I had a little part of that. Okay. I did something right. And that's just so beautiful. And I, I just feel like, you know, if anybody can just take that time and mentor, you know, just do a little mentoring. It doesn't have to be a lot of time. And your guys are doing, you know, even just by doing this podcast, you know, it takes a lot of time. Nobody's getting rich off this podcast, you know, yeah. you're doing it yeah. for the greater good and to, to, you know, to do some, share some knowledge, which is amazing. Yeah. What are some other ways that you can think of that people can create change for our, for our yeah. listeners? What comes to mind? I know you've mentioned a bunch of things already. Yeah. Oh. Well, I guess it's support artist. I think, um, you know, get yourself knowledgeable about, you know, uh, I want to say get yourself knowledgeable, read, you know, yeah. be aware, be aware. I mean, there's so many, if you ask me about, you know, uh, you know, there's so many things in the world right now. I can go into climate change. I mean, <laughs> there's too much stuff. We're, we're messed up right now. We, yeah. we have a lot of work to do. But in terms of, 
you know, gender and equality. I think just at, don't be scared to ask questions and find, you know, we started Nashville Music Equality. It was a group, you know, I think people can form their own kind of groups, even if it's five people, just even groups of friends to talk about what you can do. It's, you know, it's power in numbers. You know, if you're at a college campus, what can you do to form a group that, you know, and, and, and brainstorm to see, you know, little things that'll work. I wish I was probably should be more prepared. I swear to God, I want to do a list of what can you do? Yeah, because those I are think great pe- suggestions. You know, yeah. it's kind of like I look at it, you know, when you get a fund, you know, when you get hit up for, for, um, for a fundraiser and it starts out in the, and it's the box and it says 10,000, 5,000, 1,000. You're like, uh, yeah, I can't do that. I go, what about $5? Why don't they put that on there? Cause $5 times 75 people really makes a difference. I go start out. So it's the same principles. Like it's just a little thing you know, a little thing like Victoria, you wrote with somebody that really, you know, that you didn't know based on me, you know, it's your time. You didn't know this person. I don't know where it'll go, but you put your time in, you know, that cup of coffee, Sarah, that you had that cup of coffee is, is that's going to be so meaningful, you know, and out of that, and just by, you know, looking and being aware of what things you can do to help. And I do say it's supporting, especially with women, so, you know, support the women, call radio stations. You know, if you hear a woman, you like call them, start calling them, write notes. I mean, those little things can help, you know, go on, you know, just support, support, because the more they get supported, the more, you know, they'll, they'll rise in, in, in the world and, and, um, you know, be kind and be good. That's really <laughs> I also want to point out that we spoke about this a little bit with Leslie Fram as well, but um, it's been a real pleasure to get to grow up in the time that I have with so many women that have already paved the way. And you spoke so beautifully about mentorship. I know it's something that you love so much and you are really active in. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also something that I think you, you know it, but just hearing you speak about it, I want to say, and to you, Victoria, as well, um, by just being curious and and intentionally doing all of that, you've created a reputation for yourself that has really permeated the community in Nashville that, and I've always heard about you in nothing but amazing terms and not even knowing you, it has created the mentality within myself that there are amazing avenues for mentorship and people championing women, which has just made it feel less lonely. And so I think that is also a kind of mentorship that we don't really speak about because it's not personal. We may never meet somebody, but it's so important to just being able to see a path for success and a path for community. So I wanted to point that out as well as a- Oh, that that means a lot. Yeah, the community is, you know, listen, I've told anything, you find your people. That's the most important thing. And even, look, I've got Leslie and Beverly. They're my people. We do this together because it's, I got to tell you, there's some days we just go, oh my God, I just want to <laughs> sit on the couch and watch Netflix, which I do too. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, we get tired. We're like, are we moving? The, and and we, we, we pump each other up. And I don't know. And that's why I say, what can you do? I mean, you find a friend that you, you know, that, you know, usually your friends have like values and get started. It's so much easier when you do it with somebody because it's a lonely world. And it just feels like, you know, I, I think that's so important too. Yeah. It's lonely if you don't have a team to rise up with. And oh my gosh. Win. Yeah. And we've all gone through a really lonely period in this pandemic. You know, we all kind of had to like be at one with ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm so, so curious of times, like you've created such a reputation for yourself and looking back have succeeded in so many things. I, I feel like I would love to know times where you really had a bit of a crisis of faith or really doubted or re- really felt um, uncertain or something didn't uh, feel right. I think we can learn a lot from those and we don't always touch on the the more oh my God, all the crying time, sides of stuff. <laughs> it's a constant state. I don't think, yeah. look, I don't think there's ever been a time where I didn't feel that way. Honestly, everything I've done, I've always, you know, it's that imposter syndrome, you know, yeah. you know, even with who am I to give advice? Who am I, I you know, I think a lot of us, I don't know. I, I guess, I don't know. I, I think that we all, some of the most secure people in the world are like, oh, how did I get here? And I think that seem like someone who's not afraid to say yes to things that are mm-hmm. scary and that you've done that a lot through your life. And all the and, time, yeah. all the time. Then I go, oh my gosh, what did I do? And, and still, you know, I'm like, I can't do this. Oh, I have that fight all the time. You know, you know, I just laugh when people go, oh, you know, you're so confident. And sometimes, yeah, there are certain things I'm really confident about, but there's like a lot of things I'm not. And, and I think that what I get really mad at myself is when I start 
being fearful and I'm not going to do something and I'm going through it all the time. Like, I don't really know how to do that. So I'm not going to do that. And, and I get mad at myself and I'm like, half these people are doing these jobs, don't know how to do it. And they're, they figure it out. You know what I mean? And it's just, so yeah, the, the, the question, the, the answer is I feel that way all the time. <laughs> I mean, really do that's, scared. That's... And what am I doing here? And, you know, should I, you know, I mean, maybe I should go work somewhere else. I do it all the time. You know? <laughs> Weirdly so good to hear though. Cause I think we, everyone's always so critical of themselves and we give other people so much grace, but I also agree completely. I've never realized more in my life than moving to Nashville and really working in music full time that most people have absolutely no idea what they're doing, whether or not they have a degree in it, whether or not they have a fancy title. Most of the time they do not know what's going what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, and it's kind I, of wonderful. I have crazy stories about just getting in situations where somebody thought I did something else. Like, the first, I mean, I, you know, well, there's a couple of times, one time, you know, the wonderful writer, Marcus Hummond, um, okay. did this musical called Francis Agernica. And I was in this theater company and I auditioned and it was a musical. And I remember calling my mom. I said, oh, I'm in this musical. She said, when did you start acting? And when did you start dancing and singing? I went today. <laughs> I did it. It was the scariest thing in the world. And I just did it. You know, I was like, Oh, and then one time I remember years ago, I was, I was at a label and I got called my alma mater had called and said, Hey, we're doing this songwriting panel, blah, blah, blah. And there's going to be a panel and you listen to songs. And I kind of went, well, and they told me it was a panel and I didn't even do publishing. Then I show up and I'm like, where's the panel? And I'm like, Oh, we forgot to tell you. You're, you're the panel. What am I supposed to do? (laughs) You're supposed to critique song. I didn't even know what a hook of a song was. I, I mean, I was like, oh my, and I just taught, I, you know, I just kind of let myself go, okay, I, I love music. I can do this. I'll just talk about the song and, and be authentic to myself. And they said, oh, you're one of the best people we've had. Nobody usually talks much. I probably talk too much, but things like that where you just like, and then I'd go, okay, maybe I know more than I think I do. Isn't, isn't it funny, just... So much of it is about your self-talk and how you mm-hmm. choose to look at the situation and, and having that little internal dialogue with yourself. Like, wait, I, I got this. I know what I I'm got doing. this. Like, I'm not an idiot. I, I can't yeah. figure this out. And also being okay to say, I'm not sure how to do this or yeah. even being, you know, just being authentic and just saying, okay, I'm not really sure, but it's okay to say, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. You know, unless you're, I guess, a surgeon when you're performing <laughs> surgery, you don't want to hear that from your surgeon. I'm right. not quite sure where this one vein goes. Right. But we, we want we overly confident surgeons. Everyone <laughs> else can. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm also curious. Um, I know you talked about your your mom saying you were an activist as a kid. Was there a point in your life where you sort of developed the confidence to stick up for yourself and use your voice? Or is that something you've just always been good at? You know, I think I've always just been, like I said, I've always been this, and I say this middle child, like I've always been like making sure I always had this thing about underdogs. Like even in school, if a kid was sitting by himself, like I would go sit with that kid. Like there was something that always just was in me since I was little. And I got mad if people had made fun of another kid, it just, that was an it. And I just, so I had that something in me, like, I want to fight for people. I want to help people advocacy. I guess that's what it was back then. So, and I think you go through, you know, especially twenties and thirties, you start being a little bit more self-conscious. I don't think I was as um, confident. And then you get older and I think there's also, and I think maybe it's just, you give me your give a shit thing is you're like, Hey, I've done my stuff, <laughs> my give a shit button yeah. broken. You're either going <laughs> to like me. You're like, I'm not as worried about, it. I've got an amazing circle of friends. I've got, I know I've got respect. So at this point it's like, you know, if, if you don't like me, you don't like me and yeah. I'm going to say my piece, but I also say, you know, I also have learned that I don't, you know, I've also learned to listen and that's it. I'm not right all the time. And just, I think that's been a great thing is not to be so, you know, forceful. Like I have people in my family who just don't listen. It makes me crazy, but I, I've learned to listen. And I think that's important. And everyone needs to be, everybody needs to be heard. Yeah. I may not agree with you, but I want, you need to be heard. And I think that's been a key too. But I think the confidence, you know, I had it when I was young, then I lost it a little bit in my twenties and thirties, then I gained it back again. Yeah. <laughs> Which Interesting. I think, I think a lot of us have that pattern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get out into the world and then you suddenly go, or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you can't really appreciate all of the beautiful stuff that comes with that knowledge if you don't have an absolute crisis and rock bottom point yeah. of, of trying to figure it all out. 
that's why it's really funny because I think there's such a, a beautiful thing that happens with age and confidence and wisdom. And I think, and especially in our entertainment industry, we don't honor that enough. Mm. You know, we're always looking for the new young, you know, oh, I mean, certain, absolutely. in yeah. certain things that works, you know, mm-hmm. but I think that, the, and I think it's just our society, especially the U S we just don't honor that as, as, yeah. as much as we should, yes. you know, I love, so. I love the, the wave of women in entertainment. I've seen it a lot, actually, you know, what? a lot in, in music as well, but, um, I was thinking the more specifically in acting of women coming out saying, I'm so glad. I mean, Victoria, you said this in one of our interviews. I'm so glad I'm not in my twenties anymore. I'm so glad I'm not in my thirties. I can't wait for my forties and fifties. Um, mm-hmm. and speaking about how their life has just gotten better with age and they've gotten more confident and everything. And I, I love that we're slowly, but surely changing that narrative and, and giving women, um, I don't even want to say hope, but the knowledge and affirmation that life does not end when you're 30, when you're 35, yeah. when you have children, whatever it is, we've had that narrative for so long and it's just not true. And just well, the same as we can be in the spotlight after 30 as well. Yeah. In interesting and crazy ways, social media has an upside of allowing people mm. to share their true experiences in, you know, right. as, as a woman who's aging, I can talk about that mm-hmm. with, with people and talk about how, I mean, I can talk about menopause going through menopause. I can talk about how that changes things for me and, and what it's like. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's an interesting thing too. That's not something that we really embrace in society, in our society that we're in. We don't look at menopause as an exciting time, we don't look at it as um, an achievement to get to mm-hmm. that point, to go through that point, uh, at something you earn, you know, it, it's a really, it, it's interesting. I'm reading a book on that right now because I'm going into that era of yeah. my life. Yeah. So I'm like, I want to see how to really look at this in a positive way. And instead of, because it's sort of you're, you're conditioned to your first thought to, in response to that is like, oh, I'm old, you know, I know. And there's, there's so much more behind that historically and traditionally in different cultures, what that signifies. So it's so much respected in different cultures and it's thought of as an achievement as opposed to an honor that, you know, and, and our elder, the elder elders are honored in different societies. We're the only society don't really honor it. Yeah. You know, like we, you know, so it's, you know, it's interesting, but I'm so excited to see where we are in 10 years and 15 years, all of this, how all the, everything evolves. Um, yeah. Well, you know, and there's a new, I, when you talk about new generation, I think it's funny, the new gen- generation, I've got kids that are that new generation. They don't see race. They don't see, maybe it's the way they were raised, but they're, they're fabulous in that they, and they're both activists in their own right and the work they do too. And so I don't think they see things the same way. And even just, you know, um, you know, just, I look at even just, um, being, um, you know, as far as the being gay, you know, like that used to be like, mm-hmm. there's not a, a kid I know doesn't have a friend that that's so to me, it's so open now. And it's not even a big thing. I, I was talking about this the other day. I feel like it's another world for that. I mean, there's still, you know, there's still hardships and we still have some change to do, but you know, I mean, who was I talking to? Um, a, a, a friend of mine, uh, who had a kid in class and we were talking a little kid and he was sitting and came home. And so this is my dear friend and he's, you know, he's gay. And it was like, you know, Oh, who cares? Yeah. And, you know, I said yeah. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, Oh my God, you would have had to explain it. And they know, and right. I think that's, this is yeah. beautiful to me at, at these kind of changes that are occurring. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I see that with my little kids too, my little yeah, girls. And, they don't care. and they'll be like, Oh, is it, is he marrying a man or is he marrying a woman? You know, yeah. I was like, Oh, which one? Yeah. No, somebody <laughs> yeah. has two mommies. Oh, they have two mommies. They yeah. have two daddies. Mm-hmm. There's not like, oh, oh, we have to. Right. Perfect. It's normal. It's like becoming, it's becoming normalized. I guess that's what it is. Becoming yes. normalized. It's not like the one person. So yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's to me is just, it's just beautiful to hear that, you know, to see that and witness it. You know, and like I said, when you say where are we going to be in 10, 15 years, I hope, I hope more evolved. You know, I think we went backwards. I think again, with our last, um, mm-hmm president, mm-hmm. not the current. Uh, I think things went backwards. I think it opened yeah. up 
the, the things that were being hidden and known that were not, you know, yes. that were being re- suppressed or out the hatred and, you know, the bigotry yeah. and racism all just opened the floodgate. So I think we went backwards a little, maybe it was always there. It just maybe was hidden. Maybe that also makes me question whether that needed to happen in order to have the exactly. opposite. That's, the, that's yeah. a conversation. Did it need to happen to really, you know, yeah. it was always hiding, you know, like any of your friends of color will say it was always there. It just mm-hmm. was a little more mm-hmm. hidden, you know? So mm-hmm. again, I'm learning. I'm really lucky. I have this uh, Nashville Music Equality Group, and I learn from them because, you know, again, as evolved as I think I am all the time, I have so much to learn because I'm not wearing their shoes. I, I can talk yeah. about women stuff all day long with a lot of expertise because I'm a woman. I cannot talk about social justice with the same expertise because that I don't live in those. You know, I can only be an ally and yeah, learn. Exactly. That's what's important. That's that's what's so challenging to me is, like I said, I, I'm learning that. I'm not as confident, you know, because I don't walk in those shoes. Yes. But embodying that space is so important. Speaking about Todd Cassidy, Victoria and I had a beautiful conversation after that episode about how Todd said so, so, so much of what we'd been trying to say and were saying, but he was a man. So he was able to say it without the fear of being seen as bitchy or angry or without yeah. the fear of repercussion. Um, and and we both had a moment of like, oh my gosh, we didn't even know that's what we needed. And so embodying that as someone who doesn't wear those shoes, but is an ally is also a yeah, that's why space. Todd was so important. It's like, you have to have the guys in there. So it's not, we're just a bunch of angry, bitter females. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we're just angry and bitter. Like, yeah. you know, and, and it's funny for me, I'd get interviews saying, okay, you know, were you ever sexually harassed? I'd be like, nope. No, what? What? I go, no. I relaxed. So it was great for me because I didn't have some of the same bad experiences people in, in my um, position would talk about. And it would be like, well, what's there to interview? I said, I'm, this is great. So I don't come off as, okay, this happened mm-hmm. to me and I'm bitter. I was like, no, it hasn't. I've been really lucky. And so that's yeah. why I can even talk more. Um, but uh, we need it, you know, we need so many people like, you know, again, I'm an ally to, you know, my, my, my friends of color, I can only be an ally and listen yeah. and try to do what I need to do for them. And the men for our women, they're allies and they're great ones out there. And like I said, Todd, we just, you know, we give Todd an honorary vagina. <laughs> we, you know, we've bestowed that upon him, you know. <laughs> That's great. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna text him and make sure he listens to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Um, yeah, the so the gay so thing glad. was quiet because I really should see LGBTQ, but I swear to God, it does not roll off my oh, my, yeah. my tongue. It's a little so. bit of a tongue twister, but I'm I'm so glad you brought that up, and I'm very glad. Thank you for sharing a little bit more of your time. I'm so glad we got to go oh, yeah, yeah. in that direction a little bit. It's, yes, it's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Okay, um, so. Right. If you could ask God, the universe, your higher power, however you want to look at that, a question, what would it be? Why is the world so fucked up right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I'll second that. Yep. (laughs) Um, If you could clone yourself and live in a different life, what would the other you want to be and do? A Supreme Court judge. Oh, yes. That's perfect. I could totally see that. That's better. Absolutely. I vote for that reality. When, when you go yeah. back and, and relive again, try that one. And yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Your it. next incarnation. That's yeah, great. Because I mean, come on, you need some people that can look at balance on all sides, you know, again, yeah, especially if we're looking at what we have now. Supreme Court judge. I could make a lot, you know, I could do some, yes. I could really... I, that's how I can act, you know, you make change. Yes. Yeah. Boy, oh you know boy, right? could you ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little advocate all grown up. There you that's go. Your Ruth, I mean, come on. That's what I want to be. Okay. So what's something that people don't know about you? That I went on a game show to win money for my first artist demo back in the 80s. Oh, wow. That's, that's great. so awesome. <laughs> what game I, show I pretended are you I had a, to share? I jumped in. I had, I mean, I dressed up. I put dumb frost in my hair. I said I was a senior citizens aerobics instructor, jumped up and down like a wild ape and uh, won the money I needed. For, and you won it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I was managing a girl named Rosie Flores, this wonderful artist in, in Texas. She lives in Texas now. And that was back in the day we couldn't do it on your computer and you needed money. And my husband and I were both broke. He was actually going to produce. And 
we were like, we didn't have any money. I looked at the LA Times and said, I know, I'll go on a game show. And he just laughed. And I said, oh, no, 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 you don't laugh at me. And I got on and I won <laughs> it. whatever it was. I think it was like $1,800, which is what we needed wow. at the time. And because that paid for a lot, like three sides. And uh, I want to set a lug- luggage and that was it. That is fantastic. Luggage to go on tour. Luggage to go on tour. By the way, they had no wheels back. That was how this was. There were no wheels. I think that's That's the best answer to that question we've got so far. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. What is your favorite thing about yourself? Mm, Sense of humor. One of the best things to have, especially in this industry. But yes, mm-hmm. you got to have it or else you will shrivel up and die. Exactly. Yes. You know, sometimes you just have to laugh. You're yep. like, well, am I either going to cry or I have to laugh? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay. And the last one is what advice would you give to the younger you if you could go back and visit yourself? Uh, not be as impatient. And, you know, I was really just, I think, give myself a little bit more focus and some patience, because I think that's what got me, you know, into some trouble. I was just always quick to, I wanted to get to the next step really quick. And I just, I didn't know how to be in the moment. Yeah. I I really need, and I still am learning how to be in the moment, not always looking 10 steps ahead, be in the moment. Yeah. That's a big challenge for most people. mm -hmm. (laughs) I think we can all take that advice to heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank Thank you so so much. much. It was so great talking with you. Oh my God. So good. Great conversation. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will McBeth, and produced by Will McBeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on The, the Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't let them stop you. Stop you. Don't let